You're listening to Something Real, connecting the reality of God to the realities of life. On today's Something to Talk About, we are discussing faith, forgiveness, and everything in between. Uh, We did go a little bit over our time here, but that's to be expected at this point, right? (laughs) Thanks for listening. Hope you guys enjoy the episode. I do love sticks. Well, that's what the podcast is going to start with, so good morning. (laughs) We do love sticks here. Good morning. Everybody loves sticks. We are the much. But, you know, how are you this morning? How am I, or how is everybody out there in the ether world? Both. I am very thankful for podcasts that allow me to talk about the sermons that I wish I had a do-over on. So It's I, like getting an extra 30 minutes. It is kind of nice. And you know I can always use an extra That's 30 minutes. very true. Uh, Pastor Fred and I were talking uh, recently uh, he pastors a church in Illinois, and they have two services. And so he was talking about the fact that uh, <clears throat> he is preaching the same sermon twice, but then in the second sermon, sometimes he can catch things that he wishes he had said or wishes he had said differently, and then uh, you know maybe redo that a little bit. So sometimes they will um, get to decide between the two services which one they're going to record and, and broadcast. Oh. So there are times that I wish that we could do that, and this Sunday is one of them. There are a number of areas where I feel like I maybe didn't communicate the point well enough, so maybe hopefully we can address some of those questions today. I disagree, and I feel like you say that a lot. Well, every week. I should do a better job. As in every that. week, but I feel like you don't. Anyway, but we are going to get into uh, a little more detail with what was talked about this Sunday. Um, as always, uh, we are live streaming right now, and so if you have any questions while we're doing this, feel free to type them in, and we will try to get to them live. We're getting better at that. Slightly. So so if you want to go ahead and uh, give a quick summary of what we did talk about on Sunday, that would be swell to start us off. Yeah, so we were talking, we're in Luke 17, and and, uh, if you've been with us uh, for any length of time, we've been working through the book of Luke, and chapter 17 is, comes right after chapter 16, right before chapter 18. Uh, but it, it's in this context of a conversation that uh, Jesus is having uh, that begins at uh, a Pharisee's home. He's having dinner there. Uh, there are guests. There are um, his you know, disciples are with him. He's got crowds following him. So you know, I don't know how big a home this is or if it's people hanging out outside the windows, but he's talking to all of them. And again, it's important to remember that Luke isn't necessarily... Uh, trying to give a blow-by-blow, play-by-play, chronological right. um, <clears throat> thing here. But uh, as he is doing this, it's all set in the same context. So he may or may not actually have taken you know, pieces from different conversations and put them together, but it, it's in the writer's mind, this is all set in the same context, and right. this is how God inspired him to write it. So uh, in chapter 17, <clears throat> Jesus goes from... Uh, talking to the disciple or to the Pharisees, where he had been rebuking them, to now uh, speaking to his disciples, and he he really kind of gets to the point in the first couple of verses here. He says things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. In other words, there's always going to be things that cause people to sin or lead people right. to sin. Don't be one of them. It'd be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. And he continues, in in the NIV, there's a paragraph break there. 
uh, again, these paragraph breaks are uh, added in in our English translations. In the Greek, it's not there. So various translations will move that break. Some put it before, so watch yourselves. Some don't have it there at all. So uh, reading through it, it's much more like uh, it would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Mm. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, repent, you must forgive them. So we run into a lot of issues just in that particular portion about forgiveness. But this is all tied together. And it comes out of, it flows out of a conversation that has been uh, overwhelmingly dealing with the contrast between our values and God's values. So whatever, um, whatever particular direction that's going in the conversation from the very beginning when he um, heals a guy and rebukes the Pharisees, they don't even say anything at this particular healing, but he rebukes them for their lack of compassion and then goes on to talk about God uh, seeking the lost, or, you know, the, the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. Um, he, he deals with our use of resources for the sake of the kingdom. Um, all of the things that he's talking about reflect the fact that God's word is eternal, God's values and priorities are eternal. And we need to get our values and priorities on board with his. Then it goes into this statement to his disciples after he has just been talking to the Pharisees primarily, saying God's word doesn't change, and you don't get there are no second chances. There you're either on board or you're not. Then he turns to his disciples and says, This don't cause people to stumble, even though that's gonna always happen. And I'm serious about this. It's better for you to get tossed in the ocean with a rock on your neck than it is for you to do this. And watch yourselves and rebuke your brother or sister if they're in sin. Interestingly, uh, as you look at it, the, the emphasis here becomes um, not, not so much the feeling of forgiveness, but the action of forgiveness. And I think we... Uh, in our age in particular, perhaps always, but, but for sure in our age, because we live here, we're more familiar with that, um, we have a tendency to think of forgiveness as a feeling issue, just like we do with love. We, we see love as about our feelings rather than about our actions. And um, those things are tied together. Uh, Jesus emphasizes over and over action, but action that flows from inside, from what's going on within. So when he has... Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and it gives the Beatitudes and all these different things. He's dealing with what's going on inside of us. He he doesn't negate the law in Matthew when he addresses you know right. the things in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard this, but I tell you this. <clears throat> he's not undoing the law. He's taking it to the next level. You need to obey with your actions, but if your actions don't come from your heart, you're still in sin. You're, right. It's not you get a pass. You're still in sin. It's not about it, keeping up appearances. He's raising the bar. Right. And, and your appearances can be right, right, and you can still be wrong. But if your appearances, if your external, let me put it that way, if your external obedience isn't right, it doesn't matter where your heart is, mm -hmm. you're still wrong. Right. So if I, can, if I say, well, I've forgiven them, but my actions say otherwise, I haven't forgiven them, and I'm still in sin. If I don't feel it, but I choose to obey, that's faith. And he goes on to make that point as the apostles, you know, they're, they're like, 
my mind is blown. I, I, you know, how can you be saying this to me? You know, this person just keeps doing wrong. There, right. you know, how can we tolerate that? And he's not talking about tolerating. He's talking about forgiveness. And mm-hmm. so they say, increase our faith. Give us more faith so we can do this. And say, you don't need more faith. You need to choose to obey. If you've got faith as small as a mustard seed, then amazing, miraculous, unbelievable, unspeakable things can happen, even to the point of you talk to this tree and tell it to go throw itself in the sea, and it, and it does it. So it's not about the amount of your faith. It's about you choosing to do your job. And then he gives this parable about a, a, a servant. If you have a, you know, if you have a servant, you're not, you know, treating them as a peer. They have a job to do, so they come do the job. And because they do the job, they don't expect special re- reward. That's their job. Therefore, you need to approach it the same way when you're talking about forgiveness or you're talking about living a holy life. Don't expect an extra pat on the back. That's the job. That's the obedience. It's not about getting some magical faith pill. It's about choosing to do what is right, choosing to trust what the Word says. As he just said previous to this, God's Word doesn't change. Stick with that. Even if you don't feel it, do it because it's right, because it's obedience. So we are are left with this idea that as Christ followers, our job as we say it, uh, as we word it here at Real Life pretty regularly, our job, the reason we exist, is to reflect the reality of Christ through relationships. Specifically, his point here in reflecting the reality of Christ is that we need to show both his holiness and his mercy in the relationships that we have. We need to teach the truth of God's word in our, in our, in our doctrines, in our actions, the example that we set and how we lead others. But we also need to... Um, to not just show the holiness as a hard line, we need to show that there is a holy standard that God has and grace is available to, to us because of Christ. So if we preach all of the hard line doctrines, but we don't show mercy, then we're not reflecting the reality of Christ. If we don't teach hard doctrine, if we don't say, look, here's God's holy standard and you've missed it and I've missed it and we're going to hell because of it, then we are not helping anyone that's not loving. We're not being merciful. So we have to have both. And that's why Paul says that speaking the truth in love is how we do things. We have to speak truth. We also have to love. And if we don't have truth, that's not very loving. It's not loving to tell somebody a lie. It's not loving to tell you know your child, even hey, it's great to go is, play in the street. Or even if the lie is you know, something warm and fuzzy. Right, yeah. It, it, making people feel good is not necessarily love. Back to the loving. feeling thing. <laughs> 100%. We live in feelings. I think maybe more so now than in most periods in history. I would certainly not be arrogant enough to, to presume to know how that's always gone. But I was going to make an age joke, but I'm not going well, to. Well, I've lived through most periods of history, <laughs> but thank you anyway. Uh, <clears throat> hey, listen, once you hit 30, you probably want to be careful with that's the age true. jokes. I'm done. <laughs> said the 50 year old but anyway as, as we're looking at this we need to recognize that we can't love people by telling them something is true that isn't or telling some, them something isn't true that is it's very much like making my children feel good by letting them do whatever they want right. while I'm ruining them right. by not having a standard and it's not easy always, and people might, people might hate you for it. Well, you know that as a parent. There are times when your child is doing something, and you know you need to stop them, but by right. stopping them, you cause them 
you know, unpleasantness. Right. You take that thing away from them that they're playing with. Right. And, you know, if, if, if your son's, you know, I use the illustration a lot. Your mom doesn't like it when I do it because she visualizes it. My mom does too, so I, I, I get it. <clears throat> but if my child is playing with a shiny new razor blade, I have to have the sense to say, I'm going to make you cry by taking your shiny toy away from you because if I don't, it's going to kill you. Right. And that isn't loving if I say, you know, well, I really, really like I don't want, yeah, <laughs> I don't want him to feel bad. I don't want him to think I'm being harsh. You know, he, he's going to hate me because I took this away that he loves. That's foolishness. Yeah. Nobody thinks that right. way. It, well, I should, I hope nobody thinks that way. You know, who knows? In our world, maybe somebody does. <clears throat> but we, when we extend that out, we do On that. the next people. episode of Dr. Phil. <laughs> we do that all the time when we say about sinful behavior or whatever else, you know, oh, I don't want to be judgmental. It's, this has nothing to do with being judgmental. Not right. anything whatsoever. Right. It has to do with love. So when Jesus says, watch yourselves, and I, I like the, the amplification, interesting, that the Amplified Bible Imagine has that. in it, um, as they explain the connotation of the term, which is basically what they're doing. They're taking the the text of the scripture uh, very closely um, related to the King James Version in the original and then a uh, more modern version later. But they're, then they build out from that in little parenthetical statements what the connotation would have been for those who are hearing it. And so as they're explaining this, it's when it says, watch yourselves, it's, it's saying, watch among yourselves. Watch out for your brothers and sisters. Keep an eye on one another because our duty to one another is to help one another walk right. So when somebody sins, rebuke them. Get to the point where you love them enough to say, hey, we don't do that. This, not in this family. We don't do that in this family. And then if they turn from that, you've won them back. Mm -hmm. And James talks about that in his letter. We see it in a number of places. Um, we see it in Proverbs, but, but James brings it out. There's always a close tie between Proverbs and James. But he says, look, if you can win this brother back, this brother or sister that's in sin, then great, that's what we want to do. We want to draw them to Christ, not push them away. So it's not a matter of the picture that we get sometimes of you know peeking in one another's windows to catch one another doing wrong. Right. I, I monitor my children less now because they're grown, but my, you know, my 12-year-old too. I'm, I have spent a lifetime now monitoring my children, not because I want to catch them doing wrong. I want to catch them doing right and reward them. But I also, if they are doing wrong, I want to know so I can stop them from doing wrong, mm -hmm. turn them to the right because I love them. That's not some overbearing parent. That's I know what is right and good and best for them. Because if you do wrong enough, long enough, you're going to eventually start to think it's right. And somebody needs to come in before that. Tweetable comment right there. That's that's really. I'm off Twitter. That's that's a beautiful <laughs> thing. So if you do something wrong enough, long enough, you eventually think it's right. I think that's. I'm really a well writer. Said. <laughs> yeah, you, you should do that professionally. <laughs> anyway, uh, but that, I mean, coming in before it becomes that problem, that right. that problem that becomes so much harder to get away from. Well, side note, that's why children's ministry <clears throat> is such a hugely important thing in the church. It it is absolutely crucial that we teach our children truth and we teach them to behave in a in a right way that is good for them mm -hmm. that's good for the the society that is good for the church before they form habits that go the right. other way right. it, you know to to take it in another direction example wise 
everybody who is an alcoholic started with one drink. Right. That if I can keep you from getting into that habit in the first place, I can save you years of recovery from that habit. Mm-hmm. So the the grace that God gives to us to keep us out of trouble is way more pleasant than the grace that he gives to restore us from the trouble that, that we were in previously. Fix those habits before we do something wrong enough, long enough that we think it's right. And anyway, I, I have eaten up a lot of time in, in this prelude kind of, kind of talk on it. But there are some really important things that we that I don't think I brought out well enough. Um, our memory verse yesterday was Isaiah 5.20 that starts with one of those who um, call evil good and good evil, who, who turn darkness to light or put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We do that, and unfortunately we're doing that in the church. There are a number of, uh, of people, and when I say in the church, I, I say that loosely because it's what appears to be the church, uh, but I would suggest that if we do not have a high regard for, for God's word, if we don't see God's word as authoritative, then I would very seriously question whether we are actually part of the body of Christ, mm-hmm. um, which stirs up another whole hornet's nest of controversy. But when we begin to say that our contemporary view of tolerance trumps the authority of God's word, then we no longer are on board with God's agenda. We don't care what he says. We care what the world around us says. Right now, it's very popular to, um, to throw away all of the rules of what God intended for marriage and family and sexuality to be about. And we have churches right now telling people that evil is good, good is evil, light is darkness, darkness is light, that, that it's a good thing, that it's a sweet thing to engage in relationships that God does not sanction, that God is not in favor of. And that's a very soft way of saying it, that God condemns as evil and, and wicked. And it's, we don't like to use those words, and we certainly don't want to use those words about our private sexual choices mm-hmm. because anybody that consents, it must be okay. It's whatever we want. But God actually calls these behaviors evil. Not just homosexual behavior, but but non-covenantal, extramarital sex. Not just the act of that, but the entire view of sexuality is designed by God to be an illustration of his relationship to his people. Everything that we do is part of this, this object lesson, if you will, to teach us about eternal truth. When we get it wrong, it becomes blasphemous because we are illustrating something that is false about God. God says, when you call the things that I have commanded evil, then it's better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown in the ocean because you're teaching people to sin. And now we have churches straight up doing that people who call themselves pastors and church leaders who are we have this even in our town here locally who are promoting an agenda now i have never been to a church and i'm sure that there are some out there who have and you can not bother telling me i'm wrong about this that might be your experience i've been to a number of churches in my in my life and from different backgrounds same general uh, evangelical conservative Mm -hmm. background as far as that goes and i have never once 
been in a church that did not welcome LGBTQ people sure. to, to the congregation. Sure. That does not mean you can join a membership. It does not mean you, know, you can be clergy or anything like that. Because while we welcome all sinners of all kinds. Because we all are. We all are. That's <laughs> and, a really and this, important and this point. gay person here is no, mo- no more than I am. No more and no less. Right. But, but now today we have created this agenda that says all, all bets are off. Right. Because somebody at some point judged someone, right. which may or may not have been you and may, right. not, may or may not have had anything to do with our church. We're going to identify by this issue. Mm-hmm. It's equivalent when you put that LGBTQIA plus flag on your church What's sign. I? I don't even know. I, I got it from a pastor, know. so I'm assuming it means inclusive and affirming, but uh. I don't know that. Uh, when when you put this gay pride flag on your sign, it's equivalent to saying, you know, adulterers welcome. You're getting personal. Racists welcome. <laughs> yeah. And of course, they are welcome, sure. but the sin is not. So when you come, I want every person from every alternative lifestyle that is doing things differently than what the Bible directs us to do to come to real life and to feel at home and welcome so that they're not offended by our conversation, by the way we treat people. I want them to feel loved. But at the same time, if you're hearing the word of God and the word of God offends you, that's something you need. Whenever the word of God offends me, that tells me, and you and I have talked about this on on a number of podcasts, Man, when I read God's word, it can be convicting, and I can feel I like saw a you wretch. Texted today. I'm like, the Bible makes me feel like a wretch of a person. Right. <laughs> that means there's something I need to look at right, in me. Right. That doesn't mean I throw the Bible away. Right. But we're teaching in churches now that, well, culture has changed, so we have to look at the Bible differently. We need to, you know, kind of, God didn't really mean what he said there. You cannot logically justify picking and choosing from your sacred scriptures Mm -hmm. what you're going to believe and not believe. It either says it or it doesn't. And you're either going to take that seriously or you're not. And that becomes a very slippery slope and a dangerous place to be. Jesus loves everybody. Mm -hmm. In this book of Luke, we see that really drawn out. In fact, we're going to see right after this him healing lepers. And we'll talk about that um, next week. But the lepers needed healing because there was something wrong. Right. Leprosy represents sin throughout Scripture. It's a, it's a visual picture of the corruption of sin. In, in, in the Old Testament, it was clearly uh, delineated. The people at this time would have recognized that. So he heals these ten lepers. And if nobody had told them that they were lepers and just said, hey, come blend in with society, be a part of that, then that leprosy would have spread. Mm-hmm. That same thing happens with sin. When we tell people, hey, man, all bets are off. There's nothing wrong with what you're doing. Then that degenerate morality, and I'm not speaking specifically about any one lifestyle. I'm talking about all lifestyles that involve me not living by God's standard. That means living together outside of marriage, being involved sexually outside of marriage, deciding that I get to call the shots rather than God, living in a... In a non-complementarian uh, setting in my marriage or in my church or anything else, 
when I do things that are based on the cultural norms rather than the commands of Scripture, then what I am saying here is, you don't have leprosy. What's wrong with that? There's no big deal. And that sinfulness, that degenerate morality spreads throughout the church, throughout the society. And we're seeing that uh, on a regular basis. And God says, wait a minute, wait a minute. There is grace. But before you can receive the grace, before you can get the healing, you have to recognize that there is something to be healed from. When we tell people whether it's, again, whether it's homosexuality, whether it's gender dysphoria, whether it's adultery, whether it's you know, general fornication, pornography, substance abuse, uh, you know, any number of things. You can come on with an endless mm -hmm. list of sins. When we tell them there's nothing wrong with that, they can't get healing and they need healing. That's very much like me taking a child and saying, here's a razor blade for you to play with. You'll feel happier. You'll die, you'll harm yourself, but you know it's okay, it's good, it's fine, it's shiny and pretty, and you'll feel something. You'll get something. And <clears throat> we have gone so far away from what God has called us to that we harm people. And we call it love, and, and I know we're you know, getting down to the last portions here, but I haven't even talked about the forgiveness <laughs> aspect of it. But we're living in a world, and I'll, I'll be dealing with this in our uh, newsletter article in June, which most people here probably won't won't see. But uh, we'll be. You're late on that. <laughs> yes, I am, and your mother reminded me. And, and of course, I'm late on it. That seems to be what I do lately. But um, but we'll be talking about the same issue in there. As Jesus moves on with this, he, he says that you know when you see sin, rebuke the sin. In other words. Call, call it what it is. When you see it happening, you need to address it. Mm -hmm. Because if not, then you are leading somebody into sin. If you don't call it what it is, then you are letting the leper not realize they have leprosy. Right. So when, when we see that repentance, then we forgive. And the forgiveness here uh, is not, you know, we talked about the feeling thing. It's not about whether I feel good about it, it's about restoring that that person. Well, that's interesting to me, and, I, and like I said, I know we're running out of time here, but I some clarification for for me at least. Um, when we're talking about feelings and actions, you're saying even if we don't necessarily feel like we want to forgive that person but we it's based on our actions let's be honest have we ever felt like no, we want to that's forgive what, well that that's person? what i'm saying but and then and yeah. then the the feelings generally will follow that's our what actions, i'm saying not the it's actions kind of following your, our feelings right, right if we wait to feel good about it right then forgiveness is never going to happen right so the the act of forgiveness does not require repentance from the other person that's my choice right to let them off the hook so when he's talking about forgiveness here, it's a broader concept. And, and um, looking at, as just before we got started here, I was looking at that, that verb in the Greek. And the, the spectrum of definition for that is pretty big. It's, it, it's a lot bigger. I mean, it has to do with crying and sending and forsaking and letting go and all these different things. So it, it's, it's something that takes a little work linguistically mm -hmm. to look mm -hmm. at. But the... The entire picture here that we have, and even even Jesus' response to their request for more faith, they're obviously taken aback by it. So they're kind of blown away, and he's like, obey. 
Right. Do your job. Forgive. And he commands it. Jesus never commands feelings. He commands actions. And the feelings then follow. He doesn't say, you know, when he says don't be afraid, he's not saying don't feel fear. He's saying don't let that fear keep you from obedience. And the same thing happens here. If you don't feel that forgiveness, okay, you don't feel forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Do the forgiving thing, and then the feelings eventually can follow. But let's talk about actions because... I think my mom might have had a question for you about, you know, how do we show mercy mm-hmm. for, for, for people who keep doing wrong and things like that. It's a great question. But, and you and I have had this conversation before, and I won't get into detail on the podcast, but there's a difference between forgiveness and showing mercy, and I think you told me, don't be stupid. Right. Yeah. Don't, don't allow the action to keep <clears throat> occurring, or don't, or don't make yourself... A, you know, a part of that. You can forgive, yeah. and you then you don't have to be stupid. And it becomes necessary <laughs> for us to tie this again. Whenever we're looking at anything in Scripture, we need to take on the whole counsel of God, right. which is why we need to have the reflection of the fullness of Christ's holiness and mercy. Right. It's the standards of God, unchanged from the dawn of time, uh, from before the dawn of time. They're rooted in His character. So God's holiness is undiminished by His mercy. His glory is undiminished by His mercy. That's why Jesus died for us rather than God just saying, okay, everybody gets a pass. It's not get a pass. There is no pass. If God just gave everybody a pass, he could not be holy. By definition, he would not be who he is. So instead, he remained just and became also the justifier for us Mm -hmm. by taking Christ, who had no sin of his own, putting our sin on Christ, God paying the penalty for us, to appease his own righteous wrath, then maintains his holiness with the fullness of his mercy. We need to do the same thing, not not in warm, fuzzy feelings, but in choosing to sacrifice for the sake of forgiveness. That doesn't mean that the standard changes, and it doesn't mean that people are while I may forgive on a personal level, it does not mean that they are restored in their full status apart from repentance. Okay. Forgiveness does not require repentance, but restoration does. Mm-hmm. This picture here seems to be leaning more toward this idea of restoration. So if, uh, well, it, it's a blending. There's, a, there's the, the personal forgiveness. Mm-hmm. But if we couple this with what Jesus says in Matthew 18, then we see the same picture. He's talking about, uh, he had just told Peter, um, you know, forgive 70 times seven or mm-hmm, 77 mm-hmm. times in the NIV. As you're doing this, don't put a cap, don't put a lid on your forgiveness. But then he goes on to say, if someone sins, confront them with it. Take somebody with you. So there's, you know, two of you confronting. So every matter is established by two or more. If they don't repent of that, now they have to make a change in their behavior. If they don't make a change, bring it to the church. Talk to the church about it so that as a body you can rebuke them in that sin and turn them from their wickedness to the way of the Lord. And if they still don't, then you put them out of the church. You treat them as an unbeliever. By putting them out of the church, that doesn't mean you don't allow them to attend. Mm-hmm. It means they're not. you don't look at them as a brother or sister anymore because they're not regarding the authority of Scripture as or the authority of the, the leaders, uh, as valid. Hmm. That's representative of their um, surrender to the lordship of Christ. So if you're coming at it from a perspective of, I'm going to do what I want to do, then you're really not a part of the body. Right. In the same way, 
So then it's not that you don't allow them to attend. You allow them to, to attend as any other sinner, tax collector. That's like we were talking you know, about earlier. Right. But you don't, uh, to the extent that you control it, you, know, you don't allow them to take communion. Mm-hmm. You don't allow them to participate as a member of the church. That's a conversation for another time, but, but there's, a, there's a weight to it. Mm-hmm. In the same way, when we're dealing with folks who perpetrate evil things, forgiveness is one thing. Restoration requires a change in behavior. Okay. So to, to say... But the uh, forgiveness is on me, the restoration is on you, whoever. Right. You're, what you do is your responsibility. Right. I need to, because we're talking about loving one another, watching out for one another within the church, I need to be looking for ways to restore you, to help you through this. Okay. And sometimes the way to restore you is a kick in the behind. Yeah. That That's necessary. That sometimes means I have to restrict your access. Okay. So if, you know, if somebody is, um, is a, a porn addict and uh, we have a ministry to strippers, there's a, there's a, a porn ministry uh, called Triple X Church that, that does that. But if you struggle with that and, and you keep falling into that same sin, that's not the ministry for you. You right. need to stay right. away from that kind of thing. If, you know, if, if you're not able to change your behavior, I need to do whatever I can mm-hmm. to help you change that behavior. And sometimes that means I can't allow you to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. If somebody is perpetrating evil, if they're robbing banks, I don't want to put them in charge of bank security. <laughs> Now, that doesn't mean I don't forgive and I don't look for ways to restore, but it doesn't mean I allow the evil gotcha. to continue. Right. That, that's right. a pretty important weight. Okay. Well, we've gone over, and that's probably my fault. But uh, There's a lot to cover. There's a lot to cover. why I often want to redo on Sundays. because Should it, we make these an hour? No. <laughs> well, I mean, there is a reason that right. their sermons are the length that they are. Um, and, and it's not your pop culture quips. And that used to be much more normal. My sermons would actually be short sermons in revolutionary times, but that's you know beside the point. As we look at uh, the teaching of Scripture, there's so much that we don't draw out. And if we don't draw out the truth and stand for it and fight for it, then we end up with churches who lead people astray rather than teaching them holiness and mercy. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. And I don't want no millstone around my neck. Not a good thing. That seems bad. All right. Well, we'll stop there. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, Luke chapter 17 next week. So stay tuned for the Friday podcast to uh, get a little preview for that. Thank you guys for listening.